You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% for conservation certified business. And on August 21st, you can join other conservationists all over the world in supporting Community Conservation Day. It's a day for anyone to give their time and or dollars back to their local ecosystems and favorite conservation causes. For more information on how you can participate, visit fishandwildlife.org. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, welcome back. Land and Legacy Podcast. Ooh. Um... What a gorgeous day. It's late May, and we're out here podcasting, which brings up wonderful times of spring, summer work. Oh, I hate summer. (laughs) (laughs) You were saying beautiful day. It is a beautiful day. You know what I thought when I got up this morning and uh, was trying to get things going, and we're recording on the back porch or patio or slab of concrete, whatever you want to call it. We're in the backyard, and... um, the thing about it, I, I walked out the first breath of morning air yeah. outside, <laughs> and I was like, I could be wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Yep. And if I can be wearing shorts and a t-shirt at 7.45 in the morning, too hot. It's going to get hot. Too hot. And now there is rain coming. Yep. Um, and that's kind of bringing up, uh, um, you know, part of this this podcast is kind of an update on food plots and different things because yep. um, uh, we've got rain coming um, tomorrow, rain coming Wednesday, rain co- – oh, my goodness, over an inch of rain coming Thursday, Friday. Are you for real? Yeah. Um, chance of rain on the next Sunday, chance of rain on the next Monday, chance of rain on the next Tuesday, chance of rain on the next Wednesday. And that's all when I say chance. There's a chance every single day. But the days I'm saying are over 40. Higher percent. Over 40%. Jeez. How about some some sun in there? (laughs) There there is, well, like I said, today's supposed to be 80. Yeah. Tomorrow's supposed to be 77. Wednesday's supposed to be 80. Thursday's supposed to be 80. So it's that perfect combination. Oh, yeah. Hot, wet, hot, wet, hot, wet. And moisture to to germinate that seed and then... Enough heat to make it pop out of the ground and just go. So needless to say, get the food plots in for most yep. of us yep. and get inside because it's going to be muggy. <laughs> yeah, It's exactly yeah. why when my wife's like, I wish we didn't have to spend the summers here. And I'm like, you and me both. Like, if it wasn't for the farm and the consulting work, shoot, pack your bags, honey. We're going to Wyoming for the We're summer. We're heading, yeah, 
high elevation in Wyoming too. You should yeah. probably specify because yeah, there's I'm parts of around <laughs> uh, around uh, Yellowstone, uh, yeah. yeah, or even Montana. That's where I'm headed. Um, yeah. So first and foremost, we've got uh, we've got food plot season. Yeah, coming on. Um, it's it's here. Honestly, a lot of people have been um, already planting uh, down south and and up north. I was. Um, in Iowa, well, we guess we were both in Iowa this past week working, and um, corn was sprouting out of the ground. So a lot of the farmers have been in the fields, and and um, it is it is planting season. It is time to be going out and putting seed in the ground. We've got the temperatures right. We got the weather. We got the rain coming. Um, and so this week we're going to talk a little bit about food plots. Some reminders on planting. Some some do's and don'ts. Um, yep. I think I think every year we almost need to go into that little situation of hey, we see this often. These are some of the common failures. Let's make sure we don't do this. And then we're going to tack on another uh, subject later on the podcast that's going to highlight work for this summer that is often over. It's missed. I went yeah. that's the right right word there. For, I just totally blanked on it. Yeah. Um, it's undervalued. Here we, there we go. So. First off, food plots, do's and don'ts. I think one of the big don'ts that I see right now is don't overlook the power of weed control, uh, especially invasives or especially perennial weeds um, or, you know, like cool season grasses that are perennial. Right. Um, especially for guys planting blends. Um, right. You know, planting blends is a big thing right now, thankfully. Um, We're finally getting there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, the Heritage Blend, which I did a video. I haven't posted on social media yet. but and, and this is one of my sidebar gripes. It would be so nice to live right on the farm and have the videos rolling and just film what we're doing while we're doing it. Yeah. But time is so limited right now mm-hmm. that it's like – I got to the farm. I'm like, oh, I should go grab a GoPro and do it. And I'm like, no, we've. Got, I got one day. Yeah. Where it's it's. I mean, don't. It's balls to the wall here. Like, yeah. let's go. Yeah. It, it's we gotta make this happen now. And so it's just <laughs> like you know, get on the tractor, and I want to see black smoke pour out of that muffler, and put yeah. that drill in the ground, and let's let's freaking go. Right. And uh, and so I was like, ah, oh, I wish we could film that side of it. Yeah. Uh, I but I did a little short social media video when I opened up a bag of Heritage. Mm-hmm. Heritage is my favorite blend that we have. I yeah. love Legacy. And and ultimately, I was thinking about this too, ultimately, uh, I, I put more emphasis on a fall planting than sure. I do a sure. spring planting. Yep. A fall, you sink it in the ground in August in our, in our area and a lot of yep. Midwest. You've got part of August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. Ten months, basically. And it should be rocking and rolling, providing forage. That it should be, you know, yep. August is a big if, depending on when you plant it. Yep. But ultimately, you've got ten months. Yep. We put heritage in the ground in May, and it's going to be May, June, July, part of August. And, and, there's not generally, if you fall into this category, you shouldn't be worried about food plots, but there's usually no shortage of native browse forage should not be. available during the growing season, right? Mm-hmm. So so that that blend is, I want to say competing, but it's just adding to the abundance of forage naturally on the landscape. Most times, 
Food is a limited resource during the months of November, December, January, February, March, April. Yeah. Until that spring flush happens. So that's why, let's say, fall plantings take precedence over spring plantings. Absolutely. But heritage is a fantastic place. Heritage <laughs> is so amazing. Uh, especially if you're... How do I say this? Especially if you're in the soil health movement. Yeah. Um, if you're in the soil health movement, heritage and legacy, it's more than 10 species. It's It should be rocking and rolling for you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now, I think a lot of guys... Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you another don't. Don't love something and then kill something. And I mean, so many guys are planting the... Uh, they plant a fall, fall blend, yep. and then come planting season, it's like, i got to kill it. Right. I, and it's like, why is cereal rye a good thing up until now it has to die? Yeah. yeah. Guys, we've tried this, and I've, I've seen it on multiple properties now, and I encourage you to, to if, if I'm wrong, please send me pictures. I want to see it. But I have not seen a place in food plot site – of cereal rye becoming a bad problem because it went to seed because it wasn't terminated. And well, yeah, and I haven't seen it. And we planted an entire field without any herbicide. We drilled right into the fall blend and just let the cereal rye go to seed. And I don't remember seeing a single blade blade of cereal rye come back. Well, it, it's tough because when that seed goes to seed, it's a, it's during the hottest portion of the year, and usually it's not in the environment, growing environment, that is going to allow that seed to take off, germinate, and grow. It's it's just too hot. It's a cool season blend. Yeah. Turnip is one I, I you know, that's one I'd like to kill because mm-hmm. I have had it mm-hmm. volunteer back. Um, even then, it's still a turnip that's too thick. Like, yeah. so what? It'll eventually weed itself out. Diversity. Yeah. <laughs> um. Forage. Oh, yeah. dang. Forage. Not at the right yeah. time. Whatever. It's still forage. I mean, yeah. if they wanted to eat it, they'd eat it. And it's still mining nutrients. <coughs> so what's the point? Now, at the same time, is it competing with the plant that you're trying to grow? Sure. Could be. Um, so I see that a lot where it's like going into the spring. It's like, oh, I got to kill it. Well, what's the point? If it's, if it's, so I say that. Here's why I'm saying it. Um, this is a year that I'm a little bit going, man, the window of time is I know what will happen, but the window of time between planting the fall blend in late August or mid-August, right. and now it's a legacy blend, so it's got all those annual clovers and everything. Yeah. It's got triticale, it's got wheat, it's got cereal rye, it's got oats. Um, I was in a food plot just this week, or weekend, and I saw them all. Triticale, mm-hmm. gosh, I love triticale, or yep. triticale whatever you want to call it. Um I love it. It's it's an amazing crop. Cereal rye is pretty awesome too for the amount of thatch that it that it builds up. But at the same time, it's a little spindly stem, and that triticale is like a big beefy, it's, like bladed out. It's like an oat leaflet, but a beefier stem. Yeah, like it, to me, it, ha- it it covers more ground when it's laid flat yeah. than cereal rye. Yeah, it's not as tall, but it has right. more girth. Yeah, and so uh, I like. The, the legacy blend. So I'm saying this because planted in August, and I think now if I didn't spray it, didn't touch it, I would have forage at least into June because the oh, annual easy. clovers are going nuts right now. And I'm almost a little bit going, how far would they go? Because if it got me to July, 
I could then turn around and plant turnips. Sure. Right into that thatch. Right into that thatch. I could give it a good <coughs> spray because I know I'm going to start having some weeds. You're going to have weeds that come give up. Give it a good sure. spray. Plant brassica blend. And you could almost do a very good rotation there. Um, it's a it's a progressive food plot planting annual rotation. It's And it's cheaper, yeah. Way yeah. cheaper. I mean, I love... Spring and summer blends. I love heritage blend. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I'd like, I'd like them. I like yeah. them, but I don't love them. I think our brains, let's say as consultants, yeah, are so hardwired to be functional in our recommendations that when when there is a blend that spans such a long time frame and has the potential to be easily managed, like the legacy blend. It's hard to to not take it's hard to not allow that to take precedence over spring plantings. Yeah. Because we both know mm. too that if a spring planting doesn't occur, there's probably probably going to be annual weeds. A fallow field is still great for broods. It's still yeah. wonderful for fawns. There's still annual weeds in there for deer to eat. If I've got quail, it's good for them. Absolutely. There's there's bare ground, the mobility, everything. So I'm not that concerned about it. However, I I feel like in many other people's uh, opinions or time, what it takes precedence for them. And um, I don't think I think for me, I'm a very I've gotten this way. I would like to say in a lot of things in life, I'm a very practical guy, and th- by that I mean. I don't have a flashy truck. It's practical. I bought the base model Toyota, and I'm going to drive her until I'm going to try to make another million-mile truck. Like, (laughs) like I just want to, like, it's practical. It doesn't, it's not a dually. I didn't buy a diesel because I don't pull. I don't pull. I'm not hauling cows. I'm not hauling. I do. It's perfect. It's perfect, yeah. And it's why we have a minivan. It's practical. Yeah. We got young kids. The doors don't open all the way. They've got sliding doors. It's practical. It's not flashy. It's a pretty base model. When it comes to land management, we're very practical. I don't feel like everything we do is uh, nothing flashy. It's practical. It all has a purpose. It all is, is not expensive stuff, but if it is expensive, it's got a very high return. Like, it is expensive to hire a crew to TSI my entire woodlot. But the return it's is so is so good. It might not be uh, – it might be a little bit expensive to have a, a burn crew come in, but the return is really, really good. Yeah. Um, I, and that's where I think we say this a lot. I guess we're kind of going off to a tangent, but whatever. We said this is kind of a spring dump. Dump, <laughs> yeah. As a consultant, though, I – I don't want it to seem like we're always trying to cut costs, but what else does a consultant do? It comes in and says, "Hey, here's where you're here's where you're missing the boat. Here's where your gaps are, and here's where we need to we need to fill to make sure this this bucket overflows with success." And sometimes there's holes low in the bucket. Sometimes you just got to plug them, and those are cheap fixes to get you much basically higher volume of water within that bucket. Like you, you've got to be able to sometimes stop doing all the flashy stuff and do the functional things before you can go and, and tackle the things that are maybe more aesthetically pleasing. But, but when we come in 
I can't see past functionality if it's so poor. Yeah. That 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 needs to be fixed first. That takes priority. We're building a foundation. We're building the house of habitat on a strong the foundation. Engine. Yeah. I, I I'm not going to I'm not going to pick out my cabinet color because all, all I've been thinking about in the past two days my wife painting our cabinets now yeah I'm not thinking about that if if I'm only at the portion of the project where I'm pouring a slab to build on yeah it doesn't matter it does it really doesn't matter I'm totally just focused on what do I need to make this structure sound I think about when I was a teenager and I had a Dodge Dakota <coughs> and uh, Dakota Kid, the Dakota Kid, and uh, w- I remember having you know, I didn't have a lot of money, but I'd buy like I bought fog lights to put on because I thought it'd be cool. You, or I you're, bought you're the after aftermarket, yeah. Guy. You, you'd look at those things like I'm gonna put a CD player in it, but I remember I drove around for two weeks with a spring broke on it where it'd like it hit a bump <laughs> and it you didn't fix the the repair to keep it running. Like she sure looked cool. She though. still <laughs> she still had them smoking fog lights. So, <laughs> and now it's like so many times when we look at well, land, it's like we got to fix the you know w- we're building a, a vehicle here and we have yeah. to fix the engine and the suspension. We have to main sh- make sure that it's the the guts and the engine that runs this thing is going to last for a long long time. Yeah. We don't worry about a whole lot of the paint color or the or I put a camo headliner uh, in one oh, of my trucks. I remember that one. And, uh, <coughs> like, all that stuff is just minor details. We should focus on the on the priority <coughs> and being um, very practical about the management side. And so when I look at food plots, yeah, let's to, <laughs> to tie that ra- back in, bring your ra- bring when I look around. at food plots, um, it's very much, like, from a practical standpoint. That's why the partnership that we have with Stratton mm-hmm. is, is just something we're so happy about because the price point is phenomenal. Right, we got glyphosate tolerant forage soybeans for about forty bucks a bag. Um, I mean, that is that is find me a better option. Yeah, and right. we've had them get neck high, huge leaves, tons of pods. Yeah, there's multiple options. We don't even talk about the strategy beans hardly, right? right. Because frankly, the other ones are so great, but the yeah. strategy beans being a enlist variety forage bean to where you can spray it with. Glufosate, glyphosate, mm-hmm. or even uh, 24D. 24D uh, with choline, I believe. There's mm-hmm. different herbicides you can use. So if you are <coughs> dealing with Roundup-ready resistant mare's tail or pigweed, you have an option. Yeah. And that's only 60 bucks retail, suggested yeah. retail. So there's a lot of different things you can do that are very practical. And, and I look at spring planting. We use Heritage a lot for screening or small food plots. Like ultimately, <coughs> right. in a in a grand scheme of things, my food plots will be uh, the smaller ones will be planted. In, uh, it'll be heritage in the spring, legacy in the fall. Right. And I won't do. I mean, I'll do some turnip varieties or turnip annual clover uh, more in the strategy of hunting. Um, but I'm trying to go away from monocultures. The only right. reason we're using a lot of monoculture or have have some monocultures now is to control weeds. So right. Lespedeza, <coughs> goosegrass, crabgrass, Johnson grass. Johnson grass, we're trying to eradicate it. at least get them back right. to a point where now we can plant pasture mixes, perennial pasture mixes, and it's not going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the practicality of food plotting is, guys, more emphasis on fall, 
but spring can do some really set up the base great. Like yeah. we're going to control weeds or we're going to provide forage to keep some deer around um, and also uh, and also build up some soil because we're planting diversity. Because yeah. um, that is a little bit of an issue. You want an active root growing year-round or as many months as possible. So not having a diversity during the summer is a little bit hurts me with the monoculture yeah. of beans. Um, and so that, like, I don't feel like you can talk soil health and monocultures in the same sense. And you frankly can't. You can talk to anybody in the oh, agriculture yeah, yeah. world, and it, it, a monoculture it, is a terrible idea for building soil like health. Like we talk about that soybean, it's a tool. It's a, tool, it's a tool to get you <laughs> to the next stage to where you can successfully have multi-species yeah. blends working for you, accomplishing that. But again, we've got to build the foundation yeah. right. Yeah, and do we hate weeds and pots? No, we get by with some of them because again, we know they're they're yeah. forage. I hate invasives. Um, correct, correct. That's we it. hate ones that are extremely high seed producers and that are aggressive growing tendencies, so allopathic so tendencies, yeah. like crabgrass. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so those are issues that need to be taken care of, and that's where the tool of a of a tolerant a glyphosate tolerant bean will will come to your advantage and work to then again move you down the line to plant these diverse blends, uh, whether it be spring or whether it be in the fall. Because with that uh, crabgrass or the goosegrass, the aleopathic tendencies, you can have that harm, like impact your fall planting too late in the summer. I mean, if you don't get on top of it, there's, I think there's some residual there in the root system and that can impact your fall planting season. So there's just issues that we need to be aware of and i think that's what is a wonderful option for landowners uh for the for the spring planting one of the other issues i guess to do or do and don'ts is is i often see poorly prepared seeding rates yeah more seed doesn't mean more success i think when you're especially when you're doing blends mm-hmm you're, you can stunt an entire planting and not allow the blends blended at a, a or certain a, or, parts of that blend right, at at a certain rate. You're 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 taking away the benefits of that blend potentially by adding more seeds. So if so if a blend calls for forty pounds per acre, don't plant it at sixty five because you want. 30% more seed or 40% mm-hmm. more seed. Like that's not, that's not how it works. It's just not going to get 40% taller or thicker or whatever. It's blended at a rate that allows each plant to lean on each other and grow appropriately. Yeah. And so same thing with beans or, or corn, sunflowers. If you're doing those monoculture type plantings, you're not just going to get that much more production. You're actually going to hurt the overall yield of bean pods, yeah. corn, ears, what have you. <laughs> and also uh, deer density should pl- come into play. I remember yeah. working on a farm yeah. where we planted soybeans at 120 pounds per acre. Right. Because the deer population was so high. Well, and by the time they got, <laughs> well, by the time they got over browse, we still didn't have soybean pods late right. season. Right. Or even going into, I mean, we just turned around and planted a fall blend because they were. that's how it's, high the deer density was. So, yep. um, you know, there's so much to come into play. So that's your, t- or that's one of yours. I'm trying to think of another do. Um, 
or a, a don't for me, but a do would be certainly look at what's growing now. Um, how many times I, I've seen a lot of pictures lately where guys are like, look at my food plot. And I'm like, Ooh, there's some, I'm already seeing a lot of weeds coming up in mm-hmm. that, that are kinds that are not like pigweed or, or, uh, um, well, what was another one I saw the other day that I was like, Ooh, um, Cerise Lespedeza. Mm-hmm. And they planted a blend. Yeah. And it's like, <sighs> I know what's going to happen here. <laughs> yeah. Like, I put an emphasis on invasive control probably higher than a lot of people uh, from the standpoint of, okay, if you have an invasive species specifically like Cerisa lespedeza Mm -hmm. and you planted a blend, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to monitor that Cerisa lespedeza, but I would venture to say that come mid-June, late June, you're going to be spraying the whole field. Because you need to not, you don't need that Teresa to go to seed. If it goes to seed, you're going to have problems. If you, if it goes to seed, you've got you're facing the exact same situation you are this year. Yep, it's coming back. It's or, not going to go away. Or worse, from the standpoint, if that's like the first couple of seedlings that are there, mm-hmm. you don't want it to go to seed. Make seed, go on a soil profile, and and five years from now, you do some disturbance with a drill, and all of a sudden it pops up again, and you're like, oh man, I here it is. Yep, I, I got issues. So could rearing it, it's it's ugly head. To me, when you're dealing with invasives, and that's kind of the other portion of this podcast we can segue into, but in, specifically in a food plot, I think so. So many people are are so worried about. 95% success in a food plot because they put so much time and energy into it that they're like, let's say if Cerisa pops up in 5% of it or 10% of the food plot, they're fearful of spraying it out. No one's saying you have to kill the whole field if it's only in a portion. Yep. Just spot spray, treat that area, and then you're still going to have 90% plus percent success of your other crop that you planted in there. Just take advantage of it when it's small so that then you can go ahead next year and know that you're going to have probably a hundred percent success rate opposed to maybe you're down to 60 or 70 percent success rate if you don't do anything that year plant identification is super important know the growth rates tendencies seed productions of your weeds do deer eat them do they not when can i control this when can i not what herbicide should i spray it 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 makes a difference to have that knowledge readily available in your in your head say i'm not concerned about it or Oh, I need to act now. Kind yep. of thing. Yep, for sure, for sure. So those are some of the easy what do's about, and don'ts. What about some through. things that um, you know? I know you've got you've got some uh, food plots and plans for food plots, and I know you're yeah. up to your eyeballs and house plans. But let's plots talk are getting planted today. Just not what by are plots. Oh, plots. There you go. It's not by yep. me. <laughs> That's all right. Practical, Matt. That's Practical. It. Hey. it makes way more sense to have somebody else do it. Oh yeah. Than try to do it yourself. For Chad and I, I would, and, and I this, would. like we have tractor and everything there, it's like okay, it's more practical for us to do it. And and Chad has three days off of the weekends. Weather works. We're yeah. traveling haphazardly. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I'm, I, not, I'm not. I'm not bothered by it. The if fact I didn't have Chad, happening. I'd probably hire it out. Yeah, because yeah. it wouldn't it wouldn't work in my schedule. No. If I didn't have a dad, I mean, he ran a tractor yesterday. Right. I knew what Chad sprayed, and so right. um, they it takes, they certainly it takes an army. yeah. Yeah, and so um, what I'm talking about is uh, um, how we're utilizing some of these blends versus versus uh, 
uh, monocultures and how are you utilizing all these stratton blends to basically set up our farms. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think one big thing that, that we're using is now there's ancestry, which is no sun hemp, but more yep. of a sorghum sedan mix. Yep. Um, and then there's heritage, which is sun hemp and Milo. Both of them have Milo in it, I believe. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about screening and how yeah. uh, one thing that people use a lot is sorghum sedan or, or Egyptian wheat. And I notice that a lot of times it falls over in the winter. Right. Um, and I've noticed that sun hemp tends to have a better, beefier stalk. And so right. if if you – the one thing it doesn't have, though, is kind of a blade aspect. Mm-hmm. And so a blend can really come into play and work better. And then you throw in something with – Milo, and so everybody, if you planted Milo much, you know that it can be three and a half foot tall with a stalk the size of a, gosh, I don't know, like an inch and a half mm-hmm. wide, like Big. a thick stalk. That sucker, that's not falling over in the winter. Right. Um, and so you mix that with sorghum sedan and also some millets, which are in these blends, and sun hemp. You have the ability to have a blend that stays standing much longer. Plus, you can provide some summer forage with the other species that are in that blend. Yeah. Um, not just the deer, but turkeys is, and birds as well. Um, and so <coughs> where you, I'm using, uh, I kind of mix some ancestry with heritage blend around that redneck blind where I yeah. missed donuts a couple years ago. And... Uh, to kind of provide that summer forage, but also big beefy uh, blend that's going to help secure our entrance and exit from that blind. Um, you which, know you know, I, I'm much more of a perennial based screen guy. Like I think yeah. switchgrass or shrubs, um, or even some other, depending on the site, some other type of native forb would be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this in this instance, it's a. I mean, it's going to be pasture or graze, so it's going to have to be more of a of an annual base. And so that's a phenomenal mix that we've used in the past to help kind of secure our entry and exit. Yeah, for sure. And that's one of those things that um, in the years to come that I'm going to absolutely be utilizing on boundaries around one of the one of the fields that's going to be converted from what is now a hay field, about six seven acres on the new property to probably four to five of perennial based type food and then some more annual plantings. But the entire thing from the house and from an access road is going to be shielded off with, with a pretty deep screen um, of heritage. And, and this is the other aspect of, of heritage. If you're choosing to utilize it as a screen that I think is often forgotten about during that late August, September, October time frame, yes, I said October, up until that frost, there's something growing in there that's highly attractive. Yeah. And it bridges a window as your fall food plots really are germinating, taking off, becoming established before they really add a, a lot of tonnage in, a, in an attraction standpoint in that late, late August, September time frame. I, heritage is is incredible because if you're doing a side-by-side comparison to another annual like a soybean or a corn soybeans their leaf palatability is decreasing corn it's just putting on ears and so there's not really great food value and attraction there during that late august september time frame not nearly as what you can experience in heritage and heritage if you're not drilling through it and you're utilizing it as a screen 
that's when we see the bulk of deer activity in and around it and browsing yeah. is during that window because everything else is decreasing. Native forages are decreasing their palatability. Acorns probably haven't fallen. It hits a fantastic window. Yeah. And it also serves it's it's like the the multi tool. It serves as a as a great screen. Um so they're gonna be I'm going to use utilize it probably the same similar ways as yeah. screening around edges, uh, access to blinds, and then I've, I've also seen or recommended like if you have a large field and you need to kind of be able to get out to more of the center, plant a couple strips of that through or in and around some of your other plantings. Hopefully, give you enough screening early in the season to walk out and get in there and get right back out to kind of break up um, <coughs> fields. Yeah, totally. Invasive species. Uh, so as we're rolling out of the food plot talk and getting into the summer, food, I mean, invasive species, no one wants to work in the hottest summer, right? But invasive species, this is when you have an, a large opportunity to be able to, to make a big impact, um, on removing invasive species. You could do cut stump in the fall and winter, um, but there's a lot of TSI projects going on. But right now uh, is a huge window for foliar-type applications of treating invasive species. Multiflora such as, rose. Yep, multiflora rose, bush honeysuckle. Barberry. Ba- yep, Japanese barberry, autumn olive, all of these. Well, I want to say, too, there's two things that I saw this week. It's okay. interesting. We didn't even talk about this pre-show, but. It, you kind of stirred up some thought. There's two invasives that I'm seeing happening that I'm not hearing talked about. Okay. Poison hemlock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean. It's shining right now. Poison hemlock. Bolting. In the last five years has gone mm-hmm. nuts here in the mm-hmm. Midwest. And I've seen it from uh, into Iowa. On the edge of a field that's got like, a little a little bit of moisture. You oh probably have poison hemlock. Yeah. And I mean it bolts. And the yeah. thing about poison hemlock is it can be controlled a couple different times. But it's growing right and it's doing well right when old field management spraying cool season grasses. Mm-hmm. So you can hit mm-hmm. it at the same time. Yep. Um, but poison hemlock, if you're not aware of what that is, look it up and uh, educate yourself on it. Because it's it's just a, a nice, I mean, you can, I whacked some of it with a machete when we, yeah. were, when we were planting. I saw some and I just grabbed a machete and knocked it out because uh, it's kind of that, right at peak getting ready to start making producing seed and i hit her hard so i don't expect it to come bouncing back um and another one being and i'm gonna look this up to make sure i get this right but um i noticed it as i was um, driving all through iowa and and then also eastern missouri um and uh and it was like ooh, you know this is it's really cool uh, like to see, and that's what uh, that's what is a little bit fearful because it's a pretty plant, okay, and it can be easily confused. Um, <clears throat> is Dame's Rocket? It looks very similar to the flocks, the purple bloom flocks. Oh yeah, that yeah. People see, that yeah. are planting and landscaping and seeing native and roadsides, yeah. but Dame's Rocket. Hence the name. It grows up much taller. Right. And so as I was driving through eastern Missouri, it has that purpley, violety. Oh yeah, it's a almost almost into white plant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. I mean, it's an invasive, but it also is pretty. Yeah. So therefore, people are probably thinking, Given it a pass. Oh yeah, that's look at the pu- the beautiful purple flower. This ball. Yeah. Well, it's invasive. 
Yeah. And regardless if it's beautiful or not, it's invasive. It just it's kind of like a Trojan horse. It's like yeah, yeah. coming in. It's like, oh look how beautiful. Whoa, it's bigger patch this year. Oh, it's a bigger patch. Oh my goodness, it's everywhere. I'm not seeing the real stuff. So Dame's rocket and poison hemlock definitely should start getting on people's sure. radar. Yeah. Um, I've seen that the whole Midwest. Uh, another one too that is beef steak. That yeah. one, that one's easily um, looked over, and you see a lot in pasture ground, um, semi abused, abused pasture yeah. ground. Yeah, and um, you got to be careful with it from the standpoint of when it's wilting, it can it can harm some livestock. Right, so right. don't have any livestock around there when you spray it. Um, but but as we're going into this this time frame of summer, everything's leafing out, and to me. Um, you have you have two options. You can get it early when it leaves out, or during a blooming stage, and have a lot of success. Or you go in and you wait till late summer. Um, that midsummer, not to say that you cannot have success at all, because you can. I've done it, and lots and lots of summers. But you're hitting the window during a blooming stage of let's say multiflora rose, or yep. during uh, bush honeysuckle. A lot of the production. And that plant is going into blooming. And yeah. so it kind of leaves the leaves more vulnerable. And so after that le- uh, that flowering stage, many plants, as they're going into the, hot, the warmer season, produce a waxier coating the, and along their cuticle. And um, that makes it harder for the herbicide to, to get into that plant and actually do what it needs to and move throughout it. So... Obviously, you're adding, if you're doing foliar applications, a heavy surfactant when you're applying. But after this window and it gets hot, those plants just aren't absorbing nearly as much moisture through their uh, that big cuticle. And so I would wait until late summer when everything else is dry and they're sucking things down into the root system in preparation. They're senescing and pre- preparing for fall it takes that herbicide more directly into the root system. I think that it's like if you're controlling these small broad leaves and you kill them now, you have the chance for something else to grow uh, the remainder of the summer. Right. Rather than trying to kill right. it as it starts to mature and, and get waxy later in the summer and kind of go dormant. And then you have to play into uh, weather temperature because some herbicides or a lot of herbicides don't. They have guidelines. They don't want you to spray when it's over 90 degrees and things like that. So it kind of comes into play of going, now's a great time to be killing a lot of these broadleaf and even some woody species like multiflora rose um, now and still have the chance to get some other stuff to grow so you don't have bare ground going into the fall. Yeah, and take it one bite at a time. I know we say that with our (laughs) entire management plans and recommendations, but... If you're going forward and doing invasive species removal, make sure you break out the property if if they're in a lot of places. Break them out into units. Don't move on to another unit and continue um, without finishing one. Like you're going to get lost if you have a high invasive load on where you stopped, where you started. Your treatment's going to be haphazard. So make a plan going forward into a growing season of okay, this week I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt to spray two tanks worth of herbicide 
and I'm going to treat this suite of species in this unit. And then when I'm done with that, the next week, uh, I think I got time for three tanks. I'm going to do it um, this from this road to that road, this boundary to that boundary, whatever. Break the property up into units, and that way you know you've got a plan and, and, and can work, let's say, strategically across a property, know what's been treated, know what hasn't been, because I've been on a lot, and I know you have too, Adam, that you could drive around every day just drive the roads randomly and just start finding invasives that you didn't see the other day and if you do that it's not going to be as you're not going to make a a big of an impact across the farm because you're just going to spend more time driving shooting random plants treating them rather than taking things in segments when you take things in segments you can achieve let's say an 80 percent 60 to 80 percent reduction initially and then go back in and do your mop-up treatments the next year or later into the growing season and move throughout your your effectiveness of not just treatment but of removal or eradication comes way better with a strategic plan of attack rather than this haphazard I'm just going to drive that road today. I'm just oh I'm going to go over there and drive that road. You're going to forget where you where you've been and where you haven't been. Yep. Um so so do it with a plan, and it doesn't take that much time to think about where you're going to treat and where you haven't. Another thing that we've used and, and I recommend commonly is um, if you have the Onyx app, turn on the tracker. Yeah. Like mark where you've been, or if you got a GPS unit, do that. But uh, you know, as soon as you start driving or as soon as you start walking with a backpack sprayer, do it. Yep. And I've seen many places, let's say that we've worked – over the past couple of years, where it's like, okay, here are some species. Every single year, it's like a little bit more encroachment, a little bit more encroachment, a little bit more encroachment. And it's like, all that this is is invasive junk. Yeah. Like, now we're at a point where we got to really attack things and really get after it because, sure, we were working and doing a lot of other important projects, but at the same time, this got out of hand a little bit. Yeah. Like, we've got to stop. And go back and and make up for lost ground because you know a little bit a little bit was put on the back burner. But with invasive and, species, yeah. don't put them on the back burner. And for a lot of guys, for a lot of guys too, um, if you've got a small window of time to get to the farm in the spring, you devote it to food plots. When right. I when we just said that fall is a bigger emphasis. So especially when you're planting the right species. Yeah. And so if you start planting the right species that has some of these annual clovers like balance or brassim, uh, even crimson clover, which doesn't go as long into the summer, arrowleaf clover yep. is another one that goes really peaks in the middle of the summer, it seems like. If you, or you go to a perennial like the revival blend, which has red clover, white clover, alfalfa, and chicory, if yep. you go depending on those, that will free up some of your time to where you can treat some of these invasives during the summer or late spring, um, cheatgrass being another one, oh, yeah, um, yeah. that you should really get on top of early <coughs> in the spring and knock it out. That way, just like you said, um, y- you don't put invasive species control on the back burner because if you do that, eventually it's going to be the only burner. You're going to have yeah. nothing to do but control invasives. You're going to go from a six-burner stove down to a single-burner unit. That we all hate. Yeah, and, and I will promise you this, because I've had to do it. When that has to be your only focus, because it's so bad, 
Land management, quite frankly, sucks then. Yeah, it's not nearly it's as much not fun. It's not nearly as fun. This this work isn't like, I shouldn't say it's not the most impactful, because it's very impactful, but it's not the most direct line to positive impact as maybe, let's say, cutting in a bedding area oh, or totally. planting a food plot, right? Totally. But it has extreme significance. Or edge feathering. Right. But if you don't do it, you're going to hate life more than taking the time. And it's not hard to put a backpack sprayer on. Sure. Is, is it the most fun work? No, it's really not. But I promise you, if you if you commit to one backpack a week or two or three, whatever the case may be in your level of infestation, it is way better than waiting two years and multiplying that one or two backpack sprayers for eight to ten that really needs to happen. Because that's the direction and the growth rates of invasive species if left untreated over the course of several years. Absolutely. Just do, just do it now. Yeah. Just do it now. Do it Plain now. and simple. We're, we're, uh, we're uh, going to hit uh, multiflow rows here this month. Now we got this big fencing project that mm-hmm. we're trying to complete right now till the end of June. But also we're going to hit you know, I'm looking around the farm, and I've seen we see pastures with scattered multiflow rows, and it's just yeah. like my dad, my brother, and myself. We're gonna load up herbicide, and we're gonna start spraying. Someone take the tractor. Someone take the UTV. Someone take the four wheeler, and go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. So anyway, I just started blasting. <laughs> yeah. It's like that that Danny. Danny DeVito, I think that's his name. Yeah, yeah. Um, GIF that you see is like, right. so anyway, I started blasting. That's pretty much <laughs> what we're going to be like. There's, uh, like, I would say it's not the most fun work, but literally you can put headphones in and cruise and just start looking and, like, start shooting plants. Field invasive management is much more enjoyable than woodland. Yeah. I oh, would much rather sure. fight multiple rows than fight Japanese stiltgrass in the timber. Oh, gosh, yes. <clears throat> yes. Or Or... Japanese what is your honeysuckle? least favorite? To treat? Least favorite invasive. Oh, gosh. That is a difficult one to answer. Yeah, I'm just asking because don't you love the, the very loaded question that you have to give one answer on? Yeah. It depends. Now, oh, here in the Midwest, because that's home to uh, that's home for us. So, like, my least favorite, my, my list would change based on climate based on region that's yeah but i think right now my least favorite would be cerisa lespediza because it's not easily killed with glyphosate it takes certain herbicides for certain periods of time and it's really bad in opens it's really bad in riparian it's really bad in timber if you get a little bit of sunlight like you said stokegrass no, oh, Cerisa uh, Lespedeza. Okay, Cerisa. It's yeah. bad everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, it can show up in a pasture. It can show up in the timber. It can show up on a roadway. shows up everywhere. The seed is very small, hard, lasts for a long, long time. It's yep. like, it's terrible. I I really hate Japanese stilt grass. Yeah. We don't deal with it a lot right here. Um, it's becoming more of an issue. Uh, I really dislike that one. But, an, uh, like, I would, I'm going to go with a category of invasives, yeah. vines are difficult. Yeah. Because a lot of times they're growing at a at a point that 
you can't spray them foliar wise and so then you had to go in and meticulously either take a machete um, take a chainsaw and then do a cut stump type application you got to be careful you're not killing the trees exactly that they're on. so they pose a, a more difficult treatment option um, and so to me they're just more messy to deal with yeah are they the most are they the worst one out there no but they're they're kind of just a pain in the, the guy down south said Baloney. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, he's referencing kudzu. Kudzu's ate my farm. <coughs> it it it, d- it just swallowed up the farm. Ate her up. <laughs> yeah, um, swallowed her up. Somebody's but been having anyhow. Um, yeah, that that. Regardless of what it is you're dealing with, you've got to deal with it. It's it's like the it's like the. So we're getting distracted on the podcast <laughs> by Adam's uh, oldest daughter. She's got a, a face looking out the window that's covered in a donut chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> and she's saying, Daddy, come out. Come out. Meaning she wants to come out here. Yeah. And now she's crossing the arms because she's, like, she's upset. She's getting, she's getting a little frustrated now. Come out. <laughs> come out. Come out. Yeah. Hi. So <laughs> we better wrap this thing up. Vines, definitely. I hate them. Yeah. I hate them. Chad and I, when we were uh, – Building fence, we ran across some winter creeper on the mm-hmm. on the farm. Mm-hmm. Honestly, another one that I English ivy is very very yeah. much of a pain because it climbs so high and it has small spindly vines typically, and there's a bunch of them on on a given tree, a host tree. Yeah, and so you, it's almost like you're dabbing if you're trying to like treat because you you don't want to kill the tree, uh-huh. but it's so. It's so difficult to treat those. And they, you talk about a glossy, glossy leaf. Yeah. Foliar application. Yeah. Maybe there's someone else who knows a better combo or cocktail than I do. But I hate ivy or oriental bittersweets, another one. Very difficult. Oh, yeah. Um, to, to deal with. Those, mm-hmm. Yeah. This makes me yeah. upset talking about it. I'm queasy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Again gotta it's just you gotta got to. get done it's just a part of it yeah like so much time I, th- I think guys picture land management like the guys that own land they're like i can't wait one day to have the land and i'm gonna go uh i'm gonna go plant food plots i'm gonna ride around the tractor i'm gonna mow trails do all this stuff and it's like that all is great but there's a part of land management that is not so great and that's the preventative maintenance or the ongoing maintenance that's there every single year controlling invasives it is it's kind of like Changing the oil in your car. Yeah, or buying t- buying tires. Yeah, I, I never, like, I never skip. change it. That's <laughs> what you're going to say. <laughs> she sounds a little clunky, but I think she's running good. I know a guy uh, that used to say that that was just a marketing pitch, that changing oil, and so all he would do is put a quart of oil in and change out his oil filter. Oh and he was Lord. always blowing up engines. Like, can you not see the trail here? The trail of destruction. Yeah, like every few years you have a vehicle that blows an engine. Did you say he was a friend? Or, you <laughs> s- or that you just He's knew a guy? I know a guy. Because <laughs> you might want to switch those categories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. You would say that. And it's but like, it, but it, it is like that. It is preventative maintenance to make sure that you're not... When you have an engine problem, it's, an, it's a problem. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to the beginning portion of the podcast. When we're building an engine... Uh, of a property that's 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 the functionality of the property so when you don't do your oil changes your preventative maintenance your engine sucks and it blows and then you're totally gone and then you're dealing with a humongous mess that's costly or that just makes you um total your whole car and i'm not about 
totaling properties because someone didn't treat invasives yeah. the way they should have. Now, the good news is, though, if you get on top of it, you knock it back, and you use some like prescribed fire with certain ones, yep. you can really the keep it at bay. The prescribed fires. Um, yep. You plant different blends. You can really help fight it back and choke it out. Um, spray and smother type method. So there are ways. That's why we're always on top of our listeners to control invasives because once you get them basically pushed down to a point where it's like, okay, it's not it's not a, it nearly as much of a problem. It's, you can keep it at bay for a long, long time. But if you ignore it, it can come right up and almost drown you pretty quickly. There's, there's some places, and I just have to be very honest with everyone um, when dealing with them, you may not ever see total eradication. No. But you're infested so much that if you can take it down to managing 20% of what you have annually every single year and you're doing preventative maintenance on them, I'm going to be thrilled. And so will you. And you'll see your native habitat respond much better and, and take more of a percentage of the, the landscape or square footage of, of understory opposed to the invasives. But... Don't go at this with the intention or the goal that you're going to have complete eradication because you're just going to drive yourself mad. Yeah. Just just considerably decrease it and then maintain it at, let's just say, 20% of what it is now, and we're going to call that success. Yeah. Because based on how much you have, you're going to have new seedlings every single year. Every single year. Because the seed bank it was left untreated for... 12 years prior to you ever owning the farm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry for you. That's just the reality of it. So continue to continue to do it. Um, continue to treat them. And uh, I don't know. There's there's not much of an option, I guess, to not. No. Nope, the way I see it. Really Again, not. we're looking that's at the functionality of a property. When you're buying, to let us help you because sure. some like I, I've been on multiple farms where you show up and it's like chock full Cerise Lespedes. I'm like, this is the least favorite one. The work that's involved here is not going to, this isn't going to be buy farm, plant food plots and have fun and drive around. This is going to be the first five years. You're like, I've gone through so much expensive herbicide, just trying to knock it back because what? the old fields that I want are chock full of Cerise. Right. And someone may say, well, this one was a uh, hundred bucks cheaper an acre. Yeah, not worth well, it. it. It wasn't worth it by the amount of time and resource and herbicide or crews you had to hire because this was an issue. This yeah. was the problem that was left unmanaged or left unseen or overlooked, and now it becomes your problem. Yeah. Now that yeah. you're the owner. Yeah. All right. Hopefully, we didn't bum people out too much. But um, <laughs> summer habitat to dos. Yeah. Summer, the late spring brain dump. Yep. Um. You know, food plots are going in, and hopefully invasives are coming out. So, guys, thank you once again for joining us, and we'll catch you next week. See you guys.